I'll echo those thanks and thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. Uh, if you've noticed, last week's two Christmas songs and two not Christmas songs, but then this week was three Christmas songs and one not Christmas song, but hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, let me finish, let me finish, let me finish, let me finish, but they're all Christmas songs. Uh, ah, there you go, they're see. Not. They're all Christmas songs because we put a sleigh bell on all of them. Ah, there we go, okay. I missed it. I missed it. By the way, kids, you may have already known this, but you are dismissed to Children's Church. Miss Robin's going right out there. Uh, but that was my point. I, I, I let him steal my thunder there for a second. But, but really, I mean, every Christmas, every song we sing together as a church is ultimately a Christmas song. Right, because here as we gather, right, even as we look at the book of Ruth together, like understand that it's all because of Jesus. Right? It's all because of Jesus. And, and at Christmas time, sure, that's much more on our minds. We're thinking about baby Jesus. We're thinking about the incarnation. We're thinking about a lot of things that point us to Jesus. But brothers and sisters, every single time we sing, we are singing Christmas songs. We are Christmas people. And every book of the Bible is a Christmas book, even the book of Ruth, right? Normally we'd be in Luke or we'd be in Matthew and we'd be talking about wise men or shepherds, right? That's all good. That's part of Christmas. But it's all Christmas at a certain level because God from before the foundations of the earth determined that he was going to send his son to become, to take on flesh just like you and I and to die for us to redeem us from our sins, right? You and I are competing for the title of greatest sinner ever, right? Dylan read us that passage earlier, but Jesus is willing to save every single one of us. We are Christmas people. And so we can come to Ruth and we can say, hey, this is a Christmas book and these songs we sing are Christmas songs and praise the Lord for all of that. Uh, Last week when we looked at Ruth, we were in chapter one, And in Ruth chapter one, you really have uh, just this revelation, if you will, this very clear picture of the faithful love of God, God's faithful love. And some of your translations might have loving kindness or kindness, right? But, But it's really about this faithful love of God. And we see that time and time and time again as we walk through the book. The faithfulness of God, the love of God, the kindness of God. The Hebrew word is hesed, right? The the hesed of God. And we we looked at that last week. Today in chapter 2, we're going to see something else. It's not contradicting. It's it's part of the same idea. We're going to see the providential care of God. We're going to look at the providential care of God, and that is seen very clearly in Ruth chapter 2. But before we get there, that word providence, okay? How many of you used providence in a sentence last week? Wow. It's just not one of those words we use all the time. But if you look back at historic documents, even, even like in our country, that was a really popular word. And if you, like you go back to the founding fathers of our, of our nation and you look back and they're talking all the time about providence doing this and providence sending that and providence and, and all of that is very, very much an awareness of providence. And when, when, we, when I say God's providential care is very clear in Ruth, I need you to understand that even though we don't use the word providence as much anymore, I need you to understand what's going on there because it's a really important idea. And if we look at a definition... 
providence is God's loving provision for his creation and his faithful direction of all things for his purpose. All right, so, so that's what providence is. So you may not use the word all the time, but when we talk about God's providential care, what I want you to understand, what I want you to get is that this is God's loving provision for his creation, and it's his faithful direction of that creation for his purposes. Now that makes it a little bit different, right? It puts a little different spin on it. It's not just a synonym for God when we talk about providence, it's a very specific idea that's in view of God. It's, it's his provision, it's his love, it's his care, it's all of those things wrapped up, but it's also for his purpose. It's for his purpose. And this is where we sometimes mistake the providence of God, is we think that God's providence ought to be directed for our purpose, for our desires, but that's not at all what's in view. God is always working. He's always on his throne. He's never not been on his throne. And we can take a great deal of comfort in that, but we also need to recognize we cannot manipulate him into doing what we want. And, and, and as we walk through Ruth chapter two today, we're gonna see that his providence sometimes goes in unexpected directions. And it, and it takes us through some winding paths that we'd rather not walk down and yet it's no less true. We talked about the tornadoes. We pray for those affected right here in our area. And it, it, it's somewhat uh, strange to think about the fact that just two years ago, that was here, right? I mean, this is just down the road, but, but we've all been affected by this at some level or somebody we know has been affected. Their loved ones lost, their uh, homes destroyed, and all of those things are difficult. And I'll be the first to say, I don't understand how to always make that make sense within the faithful love and the providential care of God. But I do have the assurance of the word in Romans eight twenty eight. Right, it says this, it says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. When we think about God's providence, sometimes we just read the first part of chapter 28. We know that God works all things together for the good. And we just stop there. And we sometimes look at it and say, well, how, how can that be good? But that's not where the text stops. God's providential care is working all things together for the good of those who love God. That's important, it seems like. It's a good for those who have said, God is my greatest good, not me. Because good might sometimes look like me walking through things that I don't want to walk through. And so God is the ultimate end. He's the one that I love. He's the one that I treasure above all else. And so this good may not look good for me right now, but I love God and I'm going to trust him. All things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? Not necessarily our purpose. What he wants is not always what we want, but we don't have to guess at what he wants. What he wants is for us to look like Jesus. Every song is a Christmas song, right? 
every book in the Bible is a Christmas book, guess what? Every Christ follower is meant to be a Christmas story. You're supposed to look like Jesus. That's what God wants. And he's not going to let you be comfortable all the time because Jesus wasn't comfortable all the time. Did your parents ever tell you, were you born in a barn? I want to see Mary pull that with Jesus. Well, yes, actually, mom, I was. Thank you very much. Right? Like, like Jesus did not come to be comfortable. And if we're going to be conformed to his image, guess what? We're probably going to have to be uncomfortable at times. God's purpose is going to be accomplished and everything is working together for good to those who have acknowledged you are most important, not me. And his purpose is going to be accomplished that those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, that's our task. That's God's purpose for us is to conform us to the image of his son. And you're like, hey, I thought we were in Ruth. <laughs> That's Romans. But it ties in. Ruth, chapter two, is all about the providence of God. You and I need to understand the providence of God is not just operating in Ruth's life. It's operating in our lives. When we face circumstances that make us uncomfortable, when we're walking paths that are difficult, when we're dealing with loss or hardship or people we know are hurting, we need to understand that God is at work conforming us to the image of Christ. And that ought to be good news that God's providence is leading us that way. And so uh, with that in mind, I want us to look now at Ruth chapter two, and, and I got to set the stage a little bit better because Ruth chapter one, all about the faithful love of God. But, but if you weren't here last week, just to catch you up real quick, Ruth chapter one, we're introduced to some characters. We're introduced to Elimelech, Malon, Kilion, and Naomi, and they are uh, Israelites. Elimelech and Naomi moved to the country of Moab and they move there with their sons, and their sons marry Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. All right, so we got some names there we got to kind of keep track of. Elimelech dies, Malon, Killian die, and so we don't have to keep track of them anymore, all right? They're gone. And now you got Ruth and Orpah and Naomi, and Naomi's like, hey, I'm going back to Israel. And at first, both Ruth and Orpah are like, yeah, we'll go with you. And then they get down the road a little bit, and Orpah decides, you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to go back. But Ruth says... Look, Naomi, where you go, I'm going to go. Your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. And Naomi realizes she can't convince Ruth otherwise. And so they end up going back to Naomi's hometown of Bethlehem. Now that sounds like a Christmas story, right? They go back to the house of bread is what Bethlehem is translated to. They go back to the house of bread and, and they're there because they are in this most vulnerable situation to be a widow in that day was to be completely at the mercy of the world. No provision, no nothing, but Ruth has cast her lot with Naomi. Naomi's not thrilled, for lack of a better way of putting it. Her people greet her and they say, welcome back, Naomi, which means pleasant. And she says, don't call me pleasant anymore. From now on, just call me bitter. And that's how we lead into chapter two. So read with me now, beginning in verse one. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? 
Naomi answered her, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servant, who is in charge of the harvester, harvesters, whose young woman is this? The servant answered, she's the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you're thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. She fell face down, bowed to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her, everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done. May you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. My Lord, she said, if I have, I have found favor with you, for you have comforted and encouraged your servant, although I am not like one of your female servants. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat what she had gathered, and it was about 26 quarts of barley. She picked up the grain and went into town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out what she had left over from her meal and gave it to her. Her mother-in-law said to her, where did you gather barley today? Where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Ruth told her mother-in-law who she had worked with and said, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, This man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. Ruth the Moabite said, He also told me, Stay with my young men until they've finished all the harvest. Say, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, My daughter, it's good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, I know that was a long slog, okay? I know that's a lot of text. But do you see what I see in that text? It's like a Hallmark movie, right? There's a little bit of sparks starting to fly, right? It, it, surely you noticed, okay? Because look, you guys can't fool me. I know you've watched at least one Lifetime Christmas movie, one Hallmark Channel Christmas movie. You know exactly how this goes, right? You've got, you've got the, the girl from the other place moving into town, and then you've got the hometown boy noticing the girl. Right? You, you see it, right? Well, that's what Boaz does. And, and, and I was going to say something. I was going to paraphrase it. And I asked my wife, can I say this? And she said, probably not. So I'm not going to say it. But basically, he says, who's that? And he's interested. But I love how this works out because all of this, all of that text, all those conversations, all of these things that are happening, they're pointing us to the providence of God. This isn't just a little sparks flying love story that's starting up here. This is a reminder that God is in control, right? And, and God's providential care does not just happen in Ruth chapter 2. 
I need you to understand this. This is something that God has set in motion, not just years, but centuries before. This is not a surprise to God that Ruth and Naomi find themselves in the house of bread at the time of the barley harvest. This is not something that God is surprised by. As a matter of fact, he planned for this, and this is the problem. So often when we're in the midst of hard times, when we're in the midst of difficulty, our doubt in the providential care of God is, more, is, is less because of the circumstances we're in, but that we can't see the way out. It's because our horizons are too limited, but the first thing we see in Ruth chapter two is God's providential care is not limited by our horizons. Then what do I mean by this? Okay, what's a horizon? All right, this is a, this is a word picture. I'm trying to get you to go with me here. A word picture. What is a horizon? It's, it's the end of what you can see. Right? It's, it's, it's as far as you can see. And, and when, we, when we think about this, I'm, I'm a child of the 90s, okay? And, and when I think about the horizon, I'm thinking about the Oregon Trail, okay? Now, go with me with this for just a second. How many of y'all played the old MS-DOS Oregon Trail, right? Keyboard, space bar, you know, all of the, the arrows and all that going hunting and everybody's dying of dysentery, right? That Oregon Trail, okay? Well, I, I was born in Oregon, and you may not know this about Oregon, but that was where the Oregon Trail went. It was kind of important in, in my neck of the woods. And so there was an Oregon Trail Museum in Baker City, Oregon. And, and this is going somewhere, I promise, go with me. I love going to the, the Oregon Trail Museum in Baker City, Oregon. And I'm sure it's, it's not as glorious as my 12-year-old likes to, imagination likes to pretend. But one of my favorite things was you could go and read pictures of diaries, right? They had pages from settlers' diaries. And it was funny because one of my favorite things about it was all of these, you know, settlers from the Eastern United States, from the hills and the haulers and whatnot, as they're coming across Kansas, right? Now, now Kansas is the state, Buddy and I were driving across it, and no offense to anybody in the room, but Kansas is the state. My buddy and I were driving across it, and he's looking out the window. He looks at me. He looks out the window. He looks at me, and he looks at me, and he says, God must hate these people. All right, that's Kansas. All right, you, you're driving across Kansas, and it feels like that's all you're seeing is just flat. Like endless horizon is what Kansas is. All right, well, these journals were hilarious because these, these settlers had never seen anything like this. And they're not doing 80 down the freeway. They're doing two miles an hour behind some oxen. And they're looking, and it's like, this is not changing ever. Can you imagine their excitement when they see the Rocky Mountains on the horizon? All of a sudden, this, this uninterrupted drudgery has got something at the end. And there was one journal entry in particular. It was like, you know, we see the mountains. We've got to be about three days away. And then three weeks later, their entry is, we're still not there. Right? Because this big thing on the horizon is so big, and the, everything else is so flat, that they can see it a long way coming. That's not the kind of horizon that God's working with. It's not just a long way off. It's everything all at once, right? right? Ruth and Naomi show up at the timing of the barley harvest. That's fortunate, right? But how in the world is Ruth even able to go out and glean? She asked Naomi, can I go out and glean? Well, what's gleaning? Well, if you're from Moab, you don't know necessarily what that is because in Moab, like anybody else, they would, they would harvest their fields and, and the landowner's goal was to get everything out of the field. 
But in Israel, it's different. Because in Israel, you can look at Deuteronomy 24 or Leviticus 19, and you'll see this law of gleaning. And God tells landowners in Israel, he says, look, when you harvest your fields, don't cut the edges. And if anything falls, don't pick it up. And if you walk out of the field and forget a sheaf of grain, just leave it there. Because that is to be for the sojourner, the orphan, and the widow. Well, Ruth checks two of those boxes. Naomi checks two of those boxes. Between the two of them, they've got all three boxes checked. And God, centuries before, had provided in the law a way for Ruth and Naomi to eat. Wrap your head around that for a second. Now, this is Naomi who's been complaining about the providence of God, who's been complaining and she's bitter that God's hand is turned against her, that God is not looking out for her. Naomi, you don't get it. God was looking out for you, not just in Moab and not just in your return. He was looking out for you when he gave the law at Sinai. The law of gleaning is there to benefit all of the widows, the sojourners and the orphans, but it's especially benefiting Naomi and Ruth right now. And God set that in place. Now, do you think that in our lives, God is any more constrained, any less capable of setting in motion things from centuries ago that lead now to his care for us? No. How many of you drove a car here this morning? Did you build your car yourself? Did you mine the metal? No. Some of you can barely turn it on. But you got here anyways. God, through a string of events, made that happen. God provided for Ruth and Naomi, and it's, this so happens to be in this land where gleaning is a thing, where the, the, instead of trying to clear everything out of the land, the landowners are told, leave something there for those in need that they might gather and not starve. And so Ruth does. She goes out to do that. God's still in control even beyond that, right? I love how the text says this. Excuse me, it says... She just so happened, right? This is verse three. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. She happened. And, and the author here, this doesn't come through in all the English translations, but the author here is having a lot of fun. Because in Hebrew, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but the commentaries I read this week, basically what the author is saying is her luck lucked upon, her chance chanced upon, right? This is another way of saying like, there is no possible way that this could have been by design. And yet that's the author's opposite point. He's not saying she just happened to get lucky, is he? He's saying no, God directed her here. There's no other way that this could have happened. Her chance chanced upon, yeah, right, God was in control. She happened to go to the field of Boaz. Now, why does that matter? because Boaz is a relative of Elimelech. And God in his providence at Sinai had given a law that said to the people of Israel, Leviticus 25, if you want to check me on it, if any of you becomes poor or destitute, a brother, a family redeemer, should step in and help out. So when Ruth goes back with 
like 50 pounds of grain, which is not normal for gleaning, right? Like she comes back loaded and Naomi's going, what is going on? Where did you go? Who did you glean with? And she says, Boaz, you can see Naomi's eyes light up. And she says, this is great because he is one of our family redeemers. He's one of our kinsmen redeemers. Now, God didn't have to provide a mechanism for that. God didn't have to build into his law provision for those who lost everything, and yet he did. And Ruth just happened to end up in the field of one who could serve in this vital role for her and Naomi. That is provision beyond Ruth and Naomi's horizons. That, that is a different view of things. And brothers and sisters, you and I ought to have the same sort of view, right? If you're in the midst of a hard time right now, if you're going through some stuff, let your horizons be what they are. You can see only so far. But understand this, God sees all the way to the end. And he set things in motion centuries ago, and he's got a plan for centuries hence, and it's going to be good. You don't need to stress about it. It might be difficult getting there, don't get me wrong. There, there may be hard times along the way and it may test you in ways you can't even imagine being tested, but God is going before and behind. Your horizons do not limit his providential care and we need to trust that. Next thing we see, God's providential care is often mediated through his people. All right, so not only did he in the law provide for Ruth and Naomi centuries in advance, but he provides for them not with, with food falling from heaven, he provides for them with people, right? I mean, it's providential that Naomi even has a daughter-in-law named Ruth, right? That's, that's, that's providence, Naomi is the one who, even with her bitterness, brought Ruth back to Israel, taught her about Yahweh, introduced her to this God who can provide. That's providence. He used Naomi. He uses Boaz's foreman, right? Because Boaz isn't there when Ruth shows up, right? When she gets there in the morning, she, asks, she doesn't ask Boaz, hey, can I glean in this field? She has to go to the foreman, the guy running the crew, and say, can I do this? Now, in that day, just like in our day, there were tensions between neighboring countries. And, and Ruth was immediately in evidence as a foreigner. Right? Everybody knows she's not from around here. And yet, God, working through this foreman, gave Ruth grace. Because the foreman, instead of saying, get away from here, you Moabitess, don't you know that Moabites aren't even allowed in the assembly of Israel? The foreman says, come on in. And you can almost hear it when he's talking to Boaz later. Boaz shows up and is like, who's that? The foreman misunderstands, I think, a little bit because he starts trying to justify. He's like, well, I told her she could do it. Don't be mad at me, right? Boaz like, I'm not mad. I'm going to invite her to lunch, right? We're going to go on a date. Uh, you know, this is not normal behavior, but the foreman had the grace to do that. God mediated his providential care through the foreman. He, he mediates it through the fellow harvesters, right? He, he, Boaz tells him, hey, look, you don't mess with this girl. Don't mess with her. Leave her alone. And they do. And he, he works through Boaz, right? 
Here's this fine upstanding. It says he was a prominent man of noble character. And yet he takes an interest in this foreigner. And he does for her things that are just unheard of. In this culture, in this day, men did not draw water for women. And yet he says, hey, the young men drew some water. You go ahead and just drink whatever you want out of that. And, and he says, hey, let's go beyond the law's requirement for gleaning. Hey, guys, go ahead. And if you got a, a sheaf together, you got a bundle of, of grain stalks together, go ahead and pull out some of the best ones. Just leave them on the ground for her, right? That's not normal. That's, that's not usual. It's not usual for a woman to be able to gather 26 quarts of grain in one day gleaning. How does that happen? Well, God provided, but he did it through his people. And he did this through his people who were paying attention to the needs and the opportunities. Now, has that been true in your life? How many of you have ever eaten manna from heaven? Me neither. How many of you have ever enjoyed a good meal in someone's home? They invited you in, said, come on in. You don't have to bring anything. Just sit down and enjoy this. When I was in college, so, you know, first time out of the house, living in the big city of Louisville, right? I'm not a big city guy. This is a unique place. I'm with a bunch of strange people, as far as I can tell, right? Very different context. And I meet this girl who happened to be homeschooled, same as I was, and who happened to need a lot of help with her computer homework. Still, Megan's the only thing I got out of that computer class. But you know what else she had? She had a family, who had a house, and who invited me to dinner. Now, I'm not saying that I married Megan because of those meals, but it didn't hurt, okay? Right? God worked to care for poor Brandon away from home for the first time ever. He used his people to do that. You and I have been there. We've been the recipients of God's providential care through the actions of his people, have we not? Could you not testify to God using somebody else to speak to his goodness and his love for you through their actions? Yeah, who's speaking of your actions that were God's providential care? Who gives testimony to what you've done it says, this is how God likes to do this. That foreman doesn't know that Ruth is going to be the great, great, great grandmother of the Messiah. He just sees a woman in need and says, yeah, you can, you can work here. And Boaz doesn't know that he's going to be in the lineage of the savior of the world. He just says, hey, Naomi and Ruth need some help. Now, Boaz's motives might be just a little bit more mixed than some of the other characters in the story, but God used it. Are you letting God use you in the lives of others? Or are we so wrapped up in our own problems? Are we so wrapped up in our own difficulties and what's going on that God is not even able to use us providentially in the lives of others? If we're Christmas people... Right, every Christmas story's got the same basic idea, right? Like Scrooge, Charles Dickens, the Christmas Carol, right? What's the moral of the story? The Christmas spirit gets a hold of his heart and all of a sudden he goes from being a miser to just sharing with everybody, 
right. That's what the Christmas story is supposed to do. There's a reason why Christmas re- movies recycle the same plot line over and over and over because that's what Christmas is about. And that's what we're supposed to be about. God, in your providential care for people in the world, you have placed me here. You have put me in the place that I am with the people that I'm surrounded by, the needs that I can see and meet, and you ask me to do it. Help me to do it. Help me to have eyes to see. Sometimes we're the ones in need of providential care. Sometimes the ones worth providing the providential care, but it's still God's work who's doing it. God's providential care is mediated through his people, and it's a demonstration of his faithful love. It's a demonstration of his faithful love. We love because he first loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? 1 John. Timothy, all of these are pointing us to this reality, church. We have been loved in such an incredible way, and God has provided salvation for us. Too often we want to split God up, like this part of God over here, this part of God over here, this part of God over here, this part of God over here. God is all together. He's one. He is undivided. And so his providential care can never be separated from his love. Do you think Ruth and Naomi felt that in Moab as they were burying their husbands? No. Look at how bitter Naomi is in chapter one. She's mad. She has separated God's sovereignty from God's love. And too often we do the same thing. Bad things are happening, therefore God doesn't love me anymore. Don't call me pleasant anymore, call me bitter. Now, none of us would maybe state it that way, but how many of us might have others state it that way about us? Life weighs us down, and the pressures of this world start to beat in around us, and all of a sudden, we find ourselves far from joy, far from hope, far from peace. Understand, God is on his throne, and that's good news because God's throne, his providential care, is demonstrating his faithful love. Look at, look at verse 20 of this chapter. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. Guess what word is there where the CSB has kindness? Has said, faithful love, loving kindness. This attribute of God that is continually caring, this covenant-making love that is given to the people of God, this, this love of God, Naomi sees it again. This one who just a few verses earlier was so bitter and so complaining, now she's like, wait a second. You're not going to believe this, Naomi. I see God's providential hand And that providential hand opens Naomi's eyes once again to the faithful love of God. It's always there for you and I to see. It's just a question of whether we'll open our eyes to see it. Naomi grows bitter because she starts to look in. It's not until she begins to look out and seeing what all God has done that she begins to say, wait a second. He has not abandoned his kindness. God shows faithful love 
through his providential care, and God's providential care expresses his faithful love. Your life circumstances are an opportunity for you to see this, to understand this, to not quit, to not give up, to keep going. And if you keep going, you will see the faithful love of God, the providential care of God. Finally, God's providential care is available to all who take refuge under his wings. And you say, well, that's a strange way to put that, Brandon. I'm just quoting Boaz. Look at verse 12 with me. You know what? Start in verse 11. No, no, never mind. Start in verse 10. She, Ruth, fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother, your native land, and how you came to a people you didn't previously know... May the Lord reward you for what you've done, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. I love that picture. How many of you have chickens? All right, so when we lived in Utah, we had a bunch of chickens, and we didn't have any roosters, but chickens go broody from time to time, where it's like, hey, I've laid enough eggs, I think I should be, you know, having some kids. Well, if you don't have a rooster, you don't have kids. But the tractor supply store in town had, guess what, chicks. And so we had this hen go broody, and we're like, I don't know, maybe we can put some chicks under her and and kind of take advantage of this situation. And so we did. And one night, we went out there with the the chicks, and we lifted sleeping mama up off of the nothing that she was sitting on and put some chicks under her. The next day, we came out, we opened up, and the other hens had laid in some of the other nesting boxes, and out from under the wings of this mother hen are these little heads peeking up. And they'd duck back in, and they'd peek back out, and this hen just seemed like she was in the seventh heaven. She was so excited to have her little baby chicks under her wings. That is what image Boaz uses here for what Ruth has done. He says, Ruth, you've come and you've taken refuge under the wings of Yahweh. Now, if you fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus stands looking over Jerusalem and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, you city that persecutes the prophets and stones those sent to her, how long have I longed to gather you under my wings as a hen gathers her chicks? The love of God is such that he is continually offering shelter those chicks that we put in there, you know what they had? They had plenty of warmth. Right? Other chicks that we had raised, we had to do the heat lamps and all of that stuff. She was teaching them how to forage. She was teaching them how to eat. She was teaching them everything that they needed. They had everything they needed because they took shelter under those wings. Brothers and sisters, the same for us. God's providential care is available to all. Everyone's invited. Come, take refuge under the wings of the Almighty. I will give you everything that you need. Not everything that you want. But I will give you everything that you need if only you will trust me. If only you will rest in me. I will be there for you. How strange is it? that so often we pull back from God's providential care. 
And we say, no, I'm not, I'm not, that's weird. I'm not taking shelter under wings. What are you talking about? Ruth says, why have you found favor with me, Boaz? Because you've taken shelter under Yahweh's wings. Because you've come to the end of yourself, Ruth, and you've placed yourself wholly at his mercy. You've done the best thing that can be done. Brothers and sisters, how many of us are still fighting the providential care of God? How many of us are standing back in prideful rebellion and saying, no thanks, I've got it, God. Don't worry, I can fix it. I've got it, hold on, wait. I've got, I'm gonna put it together, do this thing and that thing and the other thing and running around frantically and God is saying, look, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to give you shelter. I'm ready to give you peace. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Jesus said. The wings of the Almighty we recognize in the New Testament become the arms of Christ stretched out on the cross. And all who take refuge under those wings are not just cared for in this life. They're granted eternal life. They're invited into a heavenly home. They are granted life and immortality. They are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. They are in Christ. It doesn't get any better than that. Boaz says, look, you, I took favor on you, but I couldn't have done that if you had not already put yourself under his wings. You're here because you were willing to say, I'll go with you, Naomi. Your God will be my God. Brothers and sisters, are we willing to say to God, we'll trust you. We'll rest in you. We'll let you provide for us. We will take shelter under your wings. It's true for those of us who are in Christ, who somewhere get the idea that we're self-sufficient, that we can handle things on our own. It's especially true for those of us who have not yet submitted to Christ. If you are trying to weather the storms of this life on your own, it's going to fail. You're going to crash and burn. It's not going to be pretty. And yet at Christmas, God holds out to us grace. He says, see, this is the way I love the world. I send my son to die for those whose sins deserve death, even though he never sinned and doesn't deserve it. See, my son, he deserves life. He possesses everything, but I will give it to any who will come and take shelter under him. I will provide for them eternal life. Do not reject the providential care of God any longer. Don't fall into the mistake of thinking that Christmas is cute and cuddly. Christmas is the story of the cross. But that cross is our hope and is the means of God providing everything we need. He does it for Ruth and Ruth then goes on to be the former generation for Jesus to be the ancestor who, surprisingly, is used of God to bring us to Jesus. 
you and I see the providential care of God, not just in Ruth chapter 2, but in everything. How are we going to respond? Let's pray.